HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. Since 2009, HRN podcasts have been exploring the wide world of food, beverage, and agriculture. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by 818 Tequila, delicious and smooth tequila, made in harmony with the earth. 818 Tequila, imported by 818 Spirits, Manhasset, New York. 40% alcohol by volume, drink responsibly. I'm Allison Kane, and welcome to In the Sauce, a podcast about building consumer brands from the ground up. I love doing this show because I get to interview everyone from production gurus to marketing and social media mavens, anyone who can guide me on this crazy journey. This is the story of building Haven's Kitchen sauces, but it's also the story of every growing brand because we're all in the sauce. Today, we're going to do something a little different. I decided to invite Courtney on. She's our brand director at Haven's Kitchen. A lot of you know her from listening to podcasts where Courtney stepped in and hosted on my behalf. And we've been talking a lot lately about something feeling a little different or something feeling like it unlocked. Um... And I thought this would be a good time to sort of do a Haven's Kitchen check-in in a way because we haven't um, on the show in a while. It's been a lot of other guests and I thought it'd be really fun. So welcome, Courtney. Hi, Allie. Thanks for having me today. This is very fun and I'm very excited. Um, so everybody, just so you all can picture this, we are in the same office in different rooms because I don't know how to do the podcast from the same room. We both have headphones on. We're on Zencaster for the podcast, but we're also on a Zoom, which is muted so we can see each other because we are visual communicators. (laughs) Yep. We should should record the Zoom while we're recording the podcast just so that we can look back and like match our faces with our words. Exactly. Because if if it wasn't muted, then maybe we could use this as some sort of content, but we can't because it's muted. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm sure we could piece something together. We could make it work. Yeah, Ashley probably <laughs> We always could. do. Yeah, if anybody can do it, it's, it's exactly. our team. <laughs> so I want to talk a little bit about, first I want to talk a little bit about this 
this feeling that both you and I are having after four years of working together, four years of like bushwhacking our way through this business and, and, and making, making stuff happen. Yeah. I kind of want to talk about what you think the inflection point is or was what you think is kind of unlocked for us. I think there are probably some things that are Haven's kitchen specific. I also think that there are a few things outside of us that are worth talking about that maybe feel like they've, they've given us some tailwinds. Um, I also want to talk about, I posted um, part of my user guide on <laughs> LinkedIn last week. And then the second part after sort of a, a lot of, of engagement. So for those of you who don't follow me on LinkedIn, I try not to put quotes and, you know, uh, memes and stuff, but hopefully I do put things that are somewhat helpful. And um, a user guide is something we'll talk about that I actually got from a guest on the show a couple of years ago that we've put into place. But I thought it might be helpful for people out there to hear a real discussion between a founder and a you know head of brand, basically um, after years of working together. Yeah, I mean, we've been. You're you're one of the longer relationships that I've I've had in my life, besides <laughs> my my now husband and my therapist. I mean, um, I feel really good about that. Yeah, you know, I, and I still like you, and I still I love working with you. Yeah. So, um, you know, I feel like that's that's a huge accomplishment, and I feel like I'm really fortunate to to still be you know in a position with you where we get to build something really cool and have been able to see it grow from something really tiny and cute to something like kind of almost massive and really, um, really impressive in my opinion. Yeah. Um, I mean, I feel the same way, you know, we'll get there. Yeah. We'll get, we'll get there. there. <laughs> then we'll start like crying. Yeah. So, oh my God. Not, not this early on in the podcast. <laughs> Let's um, talk yeah, about, I, yeah. Mm -hmm. Go on. The unlocking you mentioned, like yeah. something happened in the last few months and I feel like we've, we were like actively in the, f like figuring out, unpacking those feelings for a really long time. We were like, something's about to happen. Something's happening. So what is it? Do you know what it is? And like, is it this? Is, is it, is it, you know, the, the, the new, whatever, is it this new channel we're trying out? You know, like, I feel like over the last couple of months, we knew we were in the middle of something really cool. And all of a sudden, everything has started to feel really clear. And I, I think it's it's a couple of different things. Um, I'm interested to hear what, what you think might be the big I mean, I think most likely what's going to happen is I'm going to probably think macro trends and you're probably going to talk internal. And <laughs> that's probably a good way for us to, to, to almost frame it. Yeah. I think I personally feel like the team is in the best position we've ever been in. Um, I think that's part of what you're going to say too. Um, but I think also we, what, what has given me the agita, honestly, over the last couple of years, where you see me go from like confident to like, what the hell are we doing? And <laughs> how am I going to answer XYZ or talk to XYZ or respond to XYZ? I think now there's some things happening in the zeitgeist that are 
supporting our theses, right? We always said we're a wholesale business. We're not a direct-to-consumer business. Now, all of a sudden, we look like that was very prescient, you know, and somehow, um, you know, I wasn't doing, I, we didn't even know what the unit economics were. We just <laughs> knew it really didn't seem to work. And it wasn't the way we were going to get into homes across America. And so I feel for me, at least the pressure to be something that inherently we can't be has been removed. I think also, um, there are, I think there's a respect now on that same tack for businesses that have really, really good, fundamentally strong wholesale businesses in the natural channel, which is primarily where we are, where we haven't forced ourselves to, I mean, by the way, <laughs> not for lack of trying, right? I mean, like, <laughs> you know, like, if we're, we're being honest, like, I would have loved to be in six regions of Albertsons by now. But th the truth is, is it probably wouldn't have been great for us. Mm -hmm. And I think now there's a, a different level of sort of respect for we are cranking in Whole Foods, we're cranking in Sprouts, we're doing really well in a couple of the more progressive conventional accounts. But had we either pushed ourselves or gotten quote unquote lucky or, you know, had we opened more doors sooner and that top line would have been bigger sooner, which was stressful mm -hmm. for me. Yeah. I am not sure that we would have as strong and steady of a business as we do with as strong of a foundation to build on and scale on now, because we've gotten a lot of things sorted out. And we kept thinking, well, we did the natural channel. Now it's time for the next thing. But like, actually, it's a three to four year thing. And I feel like the, the pressure around me for that double every year, triple, yep. you know, grow, grow, grow that top line. There's starting to be a reckoning with that. And I feel like that, that makes people look at this business with like a newfound respect. Yep. So that helps me. Yeah. And I can also see a shift in your overall energy as that pressure has been taken off of your shoulders and as you kind of come out the other end of that. And I think also something that, you know, I think we all have to remind ourselves is that we have been in unprecedented times since 2020 and if we, if 2021 and in 2022, we're looking at what happened in these last two years and we try to comp over it or we try to replicate right. it or we try to do better. Double, and right. Yeah, anything that we did to, to support that growth or whatever happened in the business, it is absolutely obsolete because the world is different. Our, yep. the consumer, the, the consumer has, they changed dramatically in, in March of 2020. And then they were forced to change again in 2021. Yep. And now we're, 
we're finding ourselves and I, and I include myself in it because I, I talk to you about myself as a consumer all the yeah. time. Well, you, know, you are our target I am. consumer. <laughs> I am our target <laughs> consumer. Um, you know, I, we're finding ourselves in a position where we have to change again. And now yeah. we're looking at 2023. Like we're going to be in this little bit of, of, of these unprecedented times, quote unquote. We're going to be in it for a minute because our generation. I believe I'm your mother's age. Actually. You are my mother. <laughs> yeah, that, that's great. My mother is still 21. Yeah, Don't she's a very youthful woman. Yes, I am older than her at this point. But, you know, like my generation has never seen anything like this before. And yeah. so we're, we're going to still be figuring it out for a while. But I think back to like how y- you've seen or you're feeling that pressure off of you. I think there are a lot of different components to that. I think as your team, we're a small team. We're very intuitive and we're very, we have a very, I think, deep connection, all of us, which is a little bit of a double-edged sword because that means we, we can motivate each other and we are engaged with each other in a way that I've never experienced. But also if one of us feels a little twirly or feels a little out of whack, we all feel it. Yep. And when you are getting that pressure, when you're coming out of these really tough conversations, double, 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 why aren't you hitting this? Why are you under, why are you not blah, blah, you come out of it and you're asking all of these questions and you're wondering why, and you start to feel the lack of confidence. And then we start to, it's like that trickle down. Yeah, for sure. I've seen it happen. You know, I've seen it happen at this point. I can get outside of it and watch it as it's happening. Mm -hmm. Um, which we'll get to with the user guide. And I can, I can at least, I can't necessarily stop it, but I can alert you guys that I'm aware of it, which is probably, you know, 80% of the battle. Oh my God. Yes. But also I think what I've learned, I think around end of 2020, I started to realize, oh, okay, she's not. <laughs> my conversations when I would like come home to Alex, my my now husband, and talk about work, it went from, wow, Ali's having a week, to mm-hmm. you know, I don't know where this is coming from, to, oh, I think Ali's having some tough conversations because mm-hmm. I can feel her getting a certain way. I can feel her getting anxious. So what I've learned to do is like, okay, Courtney, why aren't we doing demos? My right. response to you is like, oh, that's a really, <laughs> that's right. an interesting, you know, train of thought. Right. You know, where is, uh, you know, where is this coming from? What are you thinking? Right. And you and I have learned, I think, to have these conversations about, okay, who are you having a conversation with? Then that allows me to understand where you're coming from so that I can be like, okay, can I have a conversation with this person or should, you know, Mm -hmm. let me dig into it and understand where your pressure is coming from. And then we can evaluate together. Is this like a really good thing for us to, for the business? Or is this, you know, something that, you know, we just should investigate, keep our, our, you know, keep a pulse on it because we have to, and then, you know, come back to it in six months. And I think we've learned how to navigate that really well. Um, so I think like that's one component, um, as like the leader who is steering the ship, you know, you, you recognize you have that power and I think you handle it really gracefully. And then I think it's us having, um, I think internally over the last six months, Mm -hmm. we've made some really great 
hires. adjustments to the team <laughs> and new mm-hmm. hires. Yeah. And both on the marketing team and outside of the marketing team, you know, I, I, I'd like to laugh about this story because if I, if I don't laugh about it, it makes me want to cry. Those <laughs> like four weeks oh, where yeah. you and I were the sales team. <laughs> Yeah, that was really, that was a doozy. We were launching Sprouts and Albertsons and we had brokers emailing us and literally I didn't under, I was like, I don't know what this email says. There were questions in it that I literally were like, is I don't, I've never not been able to understand. It was like they were speaking they were Martian language. <laughs> yeah. Literally they were speaking another language. Yeah. And I remember like the two of us being on a sales call and this lovely individual <laughs> explaining, all right, Allie, Courtney, you're going to get these 12 emails a day. Oh my God. They're automated with 17 Excel spreadsheets and you're going to open and you're going to filter them. And I remember being, and I could see it in your face, Allie, you look like you were on the, ver- you might've been crying at that I point. I don't remember. Was, yeah. But I remember <laughs> being like, all right, you know, lovely person explaining this to us. Will the business crumble if we yes. don't look at these spreadsheets for you three said, weeks? Is anything going to actually, are we going to fail if we don't <laughs> open those emails? And she said, I don't think so. And we were like, okay, good. Okay. Because <laughs> it was either figure out those spreadsheets or de- yeah. or dedicate that time to making a hire for sales. And, yeah. and I think we, we were like each other's gut check and we talked each other off of the ledge when we needed to. And we made these really great hires and we have an incredibly capable sales team internally that mm-hmm. now on the marketing side of things, I don't have to worry about our points of distribution or yep. like getting back to this buyer and like deciphering what an IO, like, I don't know what mm-hmm. an IO, I can't even spell IO, OI, like, what is this? <laughs> like on the op side, I'm not worried. Like, I'm not like crossing my fingers, you know, the both of right. you know, we're not crossing our fingers, hoping that, you know, ops is, is okay. Like yeah. we actually have grownups in the room that know yep. what they're doing and have validated the foundation that you've built on the sales and op side. Yeah. And and then on the marketing side, all of a sudden, it's like I we have the mental space to really take what we've learned over the last three, four years that I've been here and apply it in a way that we weren't able to before because we didn't have the points of distribution we have now. Mm-hmm. We didn't have the resources or the sales numbers that we have now. We didn't have the team to support our dreams the way that we do now and everything seems so much more achievable as opposed to just like, Oh, I have to do 20,000 things and I'm one person or two people. I want to touch back on something you just said though, because, you know, I remember when I had the brick and mortar and I remember that we opened and about a year and a half later, we started to get a lot of press, just very organic, you know, PR and media mentions and spreads all basically really much more about like design than they were about food, but that's for another story. (laughs) And I remember thinking, you know, I wanted this at the beginning, but I'm so glad it didn't come at the beginning because we didn't really know who we were. And I was like, this is a good lesson that I need to keep in my head. Like you want it immediately, but you really need to wait until 
it's kind of like wanting to open a lot of doors. Like you really need to try the region. You really need to try one channel. You really, because you might keep, you kind of keep thinking we know who we are or we've gotten bigger. It's kind of that analogy of like, you think you know what you're playing when you're on sixth grade middle school softball and then Mm -hmm. you see like what the game really is and you've been playing nothing. You know, it's, it's kind of like that. And I feel like, we thought we were ready for certain things. And then I think part of what's loosening in both of us is like, now we actually really do know who our customer is and we know who we are and we can speak to it in a much clearer way. And it's different depending on the channel and all of that. But I guess I'm curious, like what, what, how did you get there? Like you who are the leader of this brand, right? Like, what happened in your little journey where now all of a sudden you have this deep understanding? It's it's probably a bunch of things, but I'd love to hear you try to tease it out. Oof, that's a good one. Um, I feel like I like the answer feel, I feel like I know the answer Yeah. Like I, in, in my soul, but I've never <laughs> had to really explain it like in words. Um, I always knew we were going to get there and I knew I needed time. I knew we needed, I knew we needed to figure out certain things before we could just like be able to market the hell out of this product and like talk about our, our, who exactly is that, that target consumer. Um, I also have enough of an understanding of how the business works that a lot of it is really just like throwing things against the wall. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I hate to, I really hate this expression of like faking it till you make it, mm-hmm. but you, you have to, I knew that it was all going to come, but I, we needed to be smart and we needed to test a lot out because yeah. we also didn't have a lot of money, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a big budget to spend against. And I had never, really managed a budget before. And I remember, yeah. I remember being, I'm, and it's so funny because now how many years later I have so much more experience and I'm still, I still obsessively like write down every little thing that we spend yeah. I because, love <laughs> which it has proven to be very helpful. Yes. BT dubs. <laughs> but like I, I've, I've kept track of everything that we've done. And I think that's the key is that no matter how little the experiment was, I've kept track of it all. And even, even today, like our um, niche, our, our head of sales, like she was like, Hey, Courtney, she asked me a question about target. And I was like, ah, we did something two and a half years ago. And I was, and I was like, Hey, Maddie, our, uh, our, our CRM manager. I was like, can you pull me this? And I pulled that. And I was like, here you go, Michelle, everything's. And I was like, Oh, right. wow. Like we've kept a detailed yeah. record of how, how everything has performed um, everything that we've done, how much everything cost. Right. Um, and through, I think all of that, that tracking and experimenting, we've been able to extract a lot of information that I think really just confirmed our hunch. And I think mm-hmm. one, some of one thing, one of the things that I think you and I do really well is that we were always, our ears are always open. We always mm-hmm. want to learn from other people and we have a, a pretty strong gut that comes from experience. Mm-hmm. And I've, 
I've always known that like a gut, not only, it doesn't just require experience, it requires data. And I knew I had the experience. I just didn't have the data. Mm-hmm. And so I needed to get, continue to track and gather so that I could prove a lot of these hunches that we've had. And a lot of our hunches have been proven right. And a lot of them have been proven wrong. And from every single one of those experiences, I think we've learned so much about who we are as a brand, who we are as individuals that make up the greater team. And we've been able to finally identify who our consumer is and how they are shopping. Um, yeah. And that for me was like a major accomplishment. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it is a major accomplishment considering that I was just interviewed, I think on, um, the startup CPG podcast. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think you and I don't talk a lot about, you know, that day in, you know, March of 2020, when we had, you know, 200 some odd thousand dollars set aside for our global launch at Whole Foods. And all we were going to do is just demo the hell out of this product, because that's what worked. And that's how we got the velocity that we got to even go global. And then all of a sudden, there were no demos and we were like huh so how is anyone in like literally (laughs) park city sacramento houston charleston another stun like how are they gonna know what haven's kitchen is why is this thing in a and by the way who's even going into stores like we and then that's when we literally just started throwing things at the wall we tried everything And in little, and this is where you really, your intelligence really came in and made the business because you are happy to throw things at the wall, but you need to be able to measure them. And you don't necessarily have a dashboard or like a thing, an AI plugin, yada, yada, (laughs) one day, day. but you (laughs) keep track. So when we played with digital ads, for example, you were very clear on playing with them in certain demographics at certain stores with social nature, very particular targeted things, anything, you know, email related, you know, anything that, you know, I would be like, blah, you know, (laughs) you were like, okay, we'll try it, but we're going to try it this way, you know, because what we need to do is try it and then extract information. And I think that that talking about social nature for a second, because everyone on here has heard me talk about social <laughs> nature. And if you haven't heard me interview Analea, I suggest that. Oh, such you know, a good episode. She's go so wonderful. She's so great. But I think social nature is a great example. We get calls, I don't know, 10 a week from mm-hmm. brands asking, because they're thinking of it as a digital coupon. And we think of it as a digital coupon plus four or five other things things because we're extracting that out of it. Yeah. If you only use it as a digital coupon, is it worth it? I don't know. No. I I mean, for very few products, it probably is worth it. Right. um, Alone, just like you're looking at it as like a sampling tool. I remember when I was 11 years old. Mm -hmm. I wanted a dog so bad. All I wanted was a puppy. And my mother said, all right, Courtney, if you want a dog, you need to do your research. 
Mm-hmm. And she took me to the library because at 11 that's years old, went, right. 20 something years ago, that's where you went. Um, and I bought books on different types of breeds and she was, she had parameters. She was like, it needs to be under a certain weight and it needs to be a hypoallergenic because she's allergic to dogs. And I did about six months of research before I said, Ma, I think we need to get a Shih Tzu. <laughs> and we went out, we found a Shih Tzu and my family got me a dog. And that is, oh, wow. you know, rest in peace now. She, she, we had, you know, she's no longer with us because <laughs> it was many, many years ago. Right. But I mean, I think that that is, and my mother's going to listen to this podcast and she's going to cry because she's going to be she like, is the yes. reason why the company is successful. <laughs> yes. Basically Haven's Kitchen is successful because of her. By the um, way, the, but- the whole podcast about the inflection <laughs> points and like the macro <laughs> trends and the team, and it actually has to do with nothing except Courtney's mom. So this let me take a little break yeah. and then we'll come oh, right back. And yes. And we'll, we'll talk about how this story ties into experimentation. I thought it was just about the dog. Um, <laughs> yeah, actually. <laughs> All right. We'll be right back. I'm Chaba Peribán, co-host of Agave Road Trip on HRN here to talk about 818 Tequila. 818 creates their tequila using traditional methods that a family owned and operate distillery in Jalisco, Mexico. From the blue agave they grow to their recycled glass bottle, 818 emphasizes the Earth's importance in all they do. Their distillery runs on biomass and solar power, which means they don't rely as much on fossil fuels and are able to reduce their carbon footprint. Their labels, corks, and boxes are all certified by the Forest Stewardship Council as coming from sustainability-managed forests. 818 is a proud member of 1% for the Planet, through which they support HRN as well as Sacred, my organization in Jalisco, where together we transform agave byproducts and water waste into adobe bricks that are donated to local infrastructure projects, like a local library in Zapotitlan de Vadillo. Visit drink818.com to learn more about their sustainability efforts and find 818 near you. 818 has been part of so many magical nights for me, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I do. 818 Tequila, imported by 818 Spirits, Manhasset, New York. 40% alcohol by volume, drink responsibly. I'm back with Courtney Becerro, our brand director at Haven's Kitchen. We're just having a little conversation, uh, talking about where we are as a brand, where we are as a team. And of course, Courtney's Shih Tzu. Yes. My, <laughs> my little family Shih Tzu. So I think and what you're going to say is there, the research became a part of your identity pretty early on. Pretty early on. Like my mother made sure that like, I didn't rush into this decision and granted, you know, you go through your life and you make rush choices and whatever, but I think the fundamentally it taught me that every decision that I'm going to, every major decision that I'm going to make should be based in research. And it doesn't have to, it's not always going to be the right choice, but it should be well thought out. And that is how I approach everything that we've done. And social nature was probably the biggest financial choice that I had made Uh for the company at that time, because it is, it's not a cheap platform and they're the first ones to tell you that it's not, mm-hmm. you know, it's not chump change, especially for a really small brand. Right. So I remember running like the, the numbers in Excel half a dozen different ways to make sure that I was running it right. And 
And I remember feeling really nervous, but really good about it. Like something like this was going to be a big thing. And two years later, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I say this with a lot of confidence. They are not just like an outsourced provider. They have become a, they are part of my marketing strategy. Yep. And, you know, when I look at how our marketing strategy was based in 100% demos as of, mm-hmm. you know, February, up until February 20-something of, mm-hmm. you know, 2020, 2020 um, I could not go back to launching a national demo program. And we can talk about how you and I have, you know, yeah. <laughs> I wish to talk about demos all the time. Um, <laughs> but, you know, my cost per demo and how many units I, we would move per demo, you know, it, it's cheaper to go through social nature. And on top of that, we're getting all of the email signups and the, the touch points with the consumer and thousands of reviews. And most importantly, the ability to customize these, customize these pre and post-purchase trial surveys, which for yep. me, it's like I took, I took, I've taken like three survey courses just to be able to optimize these. And I run right. them by other industry friends to make yep. sure that I'm asking the right questions. Those um, questions are huge. And I want to just talk about them for a second because the question. So I remember Jake Neller, I, I talked about him, I think on either my last podcast or someone's last podcast about <laughs> how they used it at sweet nothings too, because basically what they got out of their survey was that they were merchandised next to the healthy, better for you ice cream and people were disappointed and because it didn't taste like ice cream mm. and it was bumming them out. And then they asked questions about how do you use this and when do you eat it? And overwhelmingly people were like, I use it instead of buying frozen fruit to make my own smoothies. So they took that research, they took that data and they said to their merchandisers who fortunately were in the same category can you move us away from the healthy ice cream over to the frozen fruit? Because this is how people are using our product. And they saw their velocities multiply. That's amazing. It's just a beautiful example, right? Mm -hmm. So in our case, it's what else is in your basket and meat and fish are number one. Yeah. And I would even, I would even say like, you hear me talk about like messaging like tofu messaging versus mofu messaging. Yeah, we're going to talk about the tofu and the mofu. Yeah, and a lot of that stems from what we've learned through those social nature. Yeah, I mean, going to to tofu for a second. So that's top of the funnel. Mm -hmm. And I'll never forget the funnel that you drew on our whiteboard, (laughs) which was awesome. But, you know, Miguel Leal said to us pretty early on, you know, I think in his first podcast, he said the same thing. He was like, brands, emerging brands have either a big, a, like a stronger business and a weaker brand or a stronger brand in a business that needs to catch up to the brand. And he was like, you, you have a brand. You don't need to do more brand building. You don't need to do more awareness right now. You need to build out your ACV. You need to build out the number of doors you're in. And I think that a, it's more fun. B it's where I think founders like me are probably paying attention more. Right. But there is a overemphasis on awareness an overemphasis on 
top of the funnel, content that leads to nothing. And there is something to be said for, I still am a believer that people need to see these pouches in various places. Your point has always been, if they see the pouches and they want to go buy the pouches and they go to a store and it's not there, they're going to be annoyed. So let's not do that too quickly. And let's make sure that where we are putting these pouches in front of people, going back to those targeted stuff, they actually have a call to action. And in our case, because they can't, I mean, they can buy us online, but A, we don't really want them to, and B, it's clunky. You know, how do we make sure that where we're building awareness, we're also building the ability for them to buy us at a store? And that's always been sort of, for us, that that plan. It was never just about building awareness, you know? And I see that coming to fruition, especially as brands are struggling now with direct-to-consumer sales. They've built a lot of awareness, but they don't have the wholesale infrastructure to support it. Um, so talk to me a little bit about just in your brain, redrawing that funnel, <laughs> you know, <laughs> The, the top of the funnel, the middle of the funnel, the bottom of the funnel, where we're emphasizing our efforts right now, how we're putting things in different parts of that, you know, just a rough draft of your brain. A little yeah. Bit. So I think right now, as um, our new sales team really gears up to significantly increase those points of distribution, right? The top of our funnel is really people who are kind of just looking at us on the shelf, Right. So um, one of the things that we've learned through social nature is that the majority of the people, when they first try us, they're squeezing us on top of whatever they're making, right? Whether that's meat or vegetables or seafood, whatever, whether they're a vegetarian or wh whatever their dietary restrictions are, they're squeezing us on top. So when you're funnel... This is people who have bought the sauce. So this is people who are looking at us on the shelf. Okay. Because so, I'm thinking, is there also that top of the funnel being like people who see us in, on a TikTok? No, I'm, I'm talking, I, I, right now I'm thinking, cause you could, you could, we could fear, 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 Whatever. Theoreticize, yeah. whatever it is. We could talk about people at top of the funnel who are looking at us from TikTok. That journey mm -hmm. is a little bit more nuanced. Mm -hmm. But I'm I'm talking about like when, when you're going through the grocery store right. and that person is browsing and they've never heard of us before. Maybe they've seen us on TikTok, maybe they've seen us on Instagram, but they're browsing and they come across our category and they right. see Haven's kitchen sauces, right? And one of the things that we've realized is that this person who hasn't necessarily bought us before. They are squeezing us on top. So when you see a shelf dangler or a shelf talker or a dangler, if you see a secondary placement, <laughs> you know, a dangler, when, yeah, it's a whole nother conversation on danglers versus shelf talkers. <laughs> That's a whole ep another episode. Stay so. tuned for next week where we <laughs> like deep dive into the difference between danglers and there was another word, wasn't there? 
uh, like a wiggler or something. Oh, a wobbler, a wobbler. A wobbler, yeah. A wobbler. Yeah, Wobbler's a dangler, yeah. Okay, they're interchangeable. Uh, you just, right. Yeah, you just you just lost 10% of your subscribers. <laughs> Sorry, Allie. Sorry, guys. But, you know, when, when they see us and they scan that QR code or when they see us on that TikTok, they, what we realize is that what's going to resonate with them most is if they see us squeezing sauce right on top of whatever it is that they're cooking. Mm-hmm. And then once once they've okay, oh I get it. I get I get how to use the sauce. Because and I talk about this a lot. We we have a lot of different things that we have to educate people on. Yeah. Um a pouch instead of a jar, refrigerated instead of shell stable, remesco instead is of Romesco? kitchen. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um you couldn't you couldn't start a cracker company. You wanted to start a complex sauce company, and here we are. <laughs> so we have a lot of things that we're educating, right? Now I'm going to teach them how to cook on the shelf. Now I'm going to teach them, like, it's just one more thing. But it's so much easier to be like, just squeeze this on top of whatever you're making instead of being like, oh, use me as a dressing marinade, this, this, and that, Mm -hmm. and toss me with this and throw me with that. You can also use me with that. You know, we're forcing them to burn a lot of mental calories. So squeeze it right on top. And then once once they have that pouch at home and they scan that QR code again and they've tried it on top, now it's like, oh... Haven's Kitchen also teaches me how to roast vegetables, and I can also learn how to not undercook my chicken and poison my family. It's so interesting, right? Because with YouTube, it's almost it's like the these other things way just, around. Yeah, completely the other way around. It's so fun. Mm-hmm. So exactly. So just so people know what the hell we're talking about. So we talk about you know. I think one of the things that I I'm proud of us for, um, and you know, hopefully I won't get in trouble for this, um, (laughs) is, you know, we've always been, we've never seen ourselves to use your expression as the hero of the journey, right? The, the home cook is the champion of the story. They're Luke, we're Yoda, right? Like they're Dorothy, we're the whatever, which saying, just click your heels, Glinda. Um, and that that can be tough when you're in a zeitgeist of brands that are um, very strong on the founder story, very strong on the behind the scenes. There's lots of Instagram, you know, almost like reality television shows at this point about the building of brands. Um, that's not who we are. That's not how we've built this. And um, What's interesting is like going into different channels thinking people aren't necessarily searching YouTube for how do I use Haven's Kitchen chimichurri. That is, we just automatically know that, but they are looking for how do I not kill my family with undercooked chicken. And if we can capitalize on some of that and then bring them into the brand, but we're not bringing them into the brand to hold them in there. Like, that's what I think is kind of interesting. It's like this, it's like, you know. When we look at platforms like YouTube, which is totally different than what I just explained when somebody is seeing us on the shelf, Mm -hmm. we look at something like YouTube, like you said, people are searching for a solution to a problem that they have. And those, if we're able to fulfill that solution, if we're able to push a, you know, my team hears me talk a lot about transitional CTAs. What does that mean? It's basically like a call to action 
but that isn't pushing your product. Mm -hmm. So you see it a lot on LinkedIn through software companies do a really great job at that where it's like, download this five five ways to optimize your website experience. And then you click in and it's the five tips, but they're, they're selling you a, I don't know, a Mm -hmm. operational management order processing, you know, like it's a super complex thing, but they made it super simple for you to click in and digest Mm -hmm. this information. All of a sudden you're like, oh, those five tips to optimize my website speed was actually really helpful. Right. Let me, you know, click in and see and see how I can, you know, I think you are the queen of the transitional CTA. I, because I drill, I drill it so much into the team because but it also goes back to that thing originally that we were talking about, which is like, because almost we couldn't drive people to buy from us because it mm-hmm. didn't make any sense economically. <laughs> yeah. So we were like, so why, what are we driving them to? We know we need to bring them in. Mm-hmm. We so know we, we get, need to connect. You build the trust in a way that resonates with their lives, you know, right. like, you are fascinating, but at the end of the day, the founder story isn't going to make their their uh, lives better or worse. You know, right. like it's it's cool to see how a brand operates, but at the end of the day, the consumer, the human beings, have so much to worry about to just basic survival. Yeah, you know, they want to make they need to know that every interaction they have, like our brains in just naturally for survival is built like that to scan everything. And it's like, how does this benefit me to just stay alive? Mm -hmm. And so that is what a transitional CTA is. And on YouTube, that is our strategy. That is the top of funnel for getting them into our world. Whereas on the shelf, it's completely opposite. So that's why like our funnel, when when I, I had to draw it out that day, because it's pretty complex depending on where people are coming to us from. And I would imagine that we're not the only brand that um, that's, has that, uh, that struggles with that. So um, I think, again, it can be complex, but it's, I think it's really important to figure it out because yeah. then it makes that it makes it that much easier to solve that consumer's problem. Well, I think it also speaks to, you know, the word omnichannel has been now, I think, <laughs> overused and it's been around for, you know, four or five years. But if if brands are supposed to be in store, on e-com, have our own D2C, on Amazon, in club right? Like if we're supposed to be in all the sales channels and we're also so supposed to be supposed to be on Pinterest, on YouTube, on TikTok, on Instagram, have an email, do an SMS, right? Like <laughs> if we're supposed to be in every channel, both sales and marketing, which is mm-hmm. essentially what omnichannel means, right? Um, there has to be choices that we make, a, but there also has to be some connectivity among all of it. And that I think that's what what ultimately you've done is you've created not to sound like such a like wiener right now, but like a <laughs> synergy between what we're doing online, what we're doing digitally, what we're doing in all these like marketing channels and and social channels, and what we're doing in store. And that's really hard. 
And I don't know that many brands that are doing that very well, right? Like they're building something out here and they're hoping that when someone gets to the store, they recognize that brand from that fun Instagram account that they follow or that they saw a, a TikTok of. But what you're trying to do is, is like latch those two things together. And I mean, I think bringing Ashley into that yes. is a big part of it. Yes. Like, uh, talk every, about her a little bit. Yeah. Every person on the marketing team has um, really, it's, I mean, honestly, at this point, I don't know how we would function with any, without anybody here. Yeah. Um, but Ashley has been a really fantastic add to the team. So Ashley um, leads the content. Yes. Right. Which means uh, Ashley, that basically everything that everyone sees on any of the channels, Ashley touches in some form or another. Yeah. Exactly. Like I'm, I'm over here, like building strategy and keeping kind of like your vision on task. I am not building, I'm not creating TikToks because Lord knows we would fail. <laughs> <laughs> um, so she, she's really identifying like what is visually on brand. She's creating that. She's making sure that like everything looks beautiful from email to, um, to video content across all platforms. Um, but basically, she has been a fantastic addition to the team, um, really allowing me to not worry about like our Instagram followers mm-hmm. and are we doing TikTok right? Um, sh- she is in those channels. She is really she's keeping a pulse on like what is what is trending. How is it? How is content being distributed? Like uh, one recipe that we create this week. It will not appear the same way on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, on our YouTube channel. It is going to come across with a different tone and a different Mm -hmm. vibe. And the copy is different because we understand that people live on their social platforms and sometimes there is an overlap. But for the most part, like I am, you know, they're they're going to be different. Um, So she does a really great job at communicating um, to those people very differently in the languages that they speak. And Um, I think also to your, to the, the point from before is they are also, our marketing team is drilled into sales. Yes. It's, it's all about velocity. It's, all about we are launching this new account how do we get straight over that two and a half three units per SKU per store per week almost immediately what do we need to do and how do we support sales yeah that is one of the things i think we've done really well is making sure that everybody understands how every single person impacts sales impacts velocity it is important, I think, for everybody to really understand um, where they where they kind of fall within that and how they impact it. And they're always thinking about that. And if there's ever a moment where it feels like they're not, somebody's there to kind of, re- we're always there to remind each other. Right. Um, Cause it's really easy, especially for marketing to kind of get like, oh my God, this is really cute. This is trending. This is fun. This is, mm-hmm. you know, this looks great. Okay, but what are we, what are we trying right. to accomplish here? And that goes back to, I think, you know, sitting in a room, you know, at the end of last year and saying, okay, we want to get to fill in the blank in sales next year. Let's assume 30% of that is new doors because we don't want to be 
getting there just with, you know, adding on doors because it's mm-hmm. the most expensive possible way to grow a and B, like we talked about at the beginning, it's not that easy to do. So that means that the doors that we're in, we need to go from being cracked open to being kicked wide open. So if we're doing, you know, four units per skew per store per week in February, how do we make sure that we're eight by the end of the year? And that's partly a question of the content that we're doing and the emails and every, every, like you just said, every single thing, every channel that we're in pushing people to go buy in store, not from us. But I think there's also, you've also redirected yourself a little bit. And I think we've collectively felt like, okay, we might need to go back a little bit to shopper marketing 101. So talk about that for a couple of minutes. Um, I'm not going to lie. Shopper marketing is not my favorite channel part uh, pillar of marketing <laughs> if I'm being totally honest how would you and tell me like how would you define shopper marketing because you actually have the grocery background and I think of it as like this big umbrella but I might be wrong I mean when I was working on the retailer side of things of the business for me shopper marketing was like anything a brand paid for for marketing so if if you wanted like um, a whole page banner or you wanted like a recipe highlight on a homepage or you wanted to be in a circular and you paid X amount of money to get that visibility, that's shopper marketing. I think- Or a sticky coupon on a pouch? Yeah, well, yeah, that could also be shopper marketing, I think for some people. Um, I think on the brand side of things, I have learned that shopper marketing is a lot more and, and maybe it's just like, like on the brand, there's a lot more um, you can do, um, like those sticky coupons, like merchandising, um, like the wobbler danglers and shelf talkers mm-hmm. and, and clip strips and acrylic shelves, um, sponsored search, like mm-hmm. all of these things. Any any marketing that you you do to support retail sales. Right. That's, yeah, we, I like over that. Here, like in, in, um, at Haven's Kitchen, we consider that shopper marketing. Right. Um, I joke around that it's like a gritty, mm-hmm. it's a gritty side of marketing, uh, because I, I find myself just like on the phone, angry all the time with somebody. <laughs> it's not, it's not the vision. It's like the, it's boots on the ground. Yes. It's not brand marketing. You know, right. it's not like the essence of the brand and like, Hey, yeah. this kitchen, we're here to make your lives easy. It's like, I need to get secondary placements. I need this. I need to get you these coupons. My coupons are off kilter. They're <laughs> the edges right. aren't correct. You sent me shelf talkers, not danglers. Stop mansplaining me. Like right. there's, there's like a whole level of, of grittiness in shopper. By the way, I love shopper marketing Courtney. (laughs) Shopper marketing Courtney is a little like angry. Is she short (laughs) me? (laughs) So we joke because like when Courtney plays golf, she gets into like her little golf outfit and we call her Sportney. And when Courtney's (laughs) in California, we call her Courtney with a K. But I think Shortney is actually really good for shopper marketing. Yeah, I'm also also 4'10". Yeah, well, we'll talk about how you feel about that. Okay, so for the last couple minutes, I want to talk about, you know, we touched on it a little bit, but I want to talk about these user guides. And I want to talk about us. 
let's talk about us. Is that a song or did I just I make that up? I think I I think you may have applied okay. that to another song, but Okay, amazing. So that is the second <laughs> podcast where I've broken into song. Oh my gosh. Haven's Kitchen the Musical definitely yes. has a number that's like where where let's talk about us. So I first of all, I don't know that I've ever just had the opportunity to just like look at you and publicly also just like, thank you. You have become, I mean, for better, for worse, like one of the most important people in my life. I feel like we're, you know, we're on a whole different level than just, you know, founder and brand director. Um, I think most importantly is we trust each other very deeply. So when we go back to the demo discussion, I'm able to say, I have this sneaking suspicion that there needs to be more human beings talking to these shoppers in the stores. I know it's probably not the most cost effective. I know that we can get more data out of social nature. I know I'll get yelled at by like some grandmother who like <laughs> likes her chimichurri more. And there's this part of me that's like compelled. And what you then do is you break it down and you say, okay, I understand that this is the nugget of what you're trying to get to. I'm not going to dismiss it because I trust you. And I know that there you are, you have a spidey sense about something. So now instead of like, no, we're not going to do that. Let's just figure out the best way. To, to scratch that itch that you're having. And sometimes if it just comes from someone that makes me feel FOMO-y, like so I so <laughs> did all these demos and they were amazing, then you're also able to get to that. Um, and on the flip side, I also feel like once I get it off my chest and you give me sort of your rationale behind it, I trust you. Um, and how, I mean, what, like, what do you, what do you account for? How do you account for that? Like, is it, how did we build that trust? Why, why do you think that we've gone through shit? We've, we've wrestled things out. Mm -hmm. We've had awkward, uncomfortable moments, like, yeah. and yet we keep coming out stronger and better. Um, I think we we're both very similar in how we communicate, um, and we went through a lot together with the pandemic. I mm -hmm. think when you had to close down the school, mm -hmm. um, even though I wasn't part of the brick and mortar, I felt like we went through that loss together in a sense, mm -hmm. like the, the, even like the Maddie, Maddie kind of went through that with us mm -hmm. um, at the same time. Um, so we were all, we were all kind of like bonded by this trauma, I think, Mm -hmm. But also, um, I think we earned each other's trust. Yeah. Um, and I think we spent a lot of time talking about our fundamental beliefs of how we approach things that we didn't have the opportunity to do when the brick and mortar existed. Like we really only got to, to, to the root of that 
through virtual, really virtual meetings when we didn't see each other for like a year, right. <laughs> pretty much. Well, um, how, how, sorry to interrupt you, but no, like, because for founders listening to this, like I can't, I don't know exactly what I did to, to earn your trust. I think I'm open to feedback. I, like we said, you know, we have these user guides. I know that I can be annoying. I know that I get, you know, twirly, as we all like to say, when I talk to someone who makes me feel insecure and that I got to be careful not to pass that on to you, but speak to the founders and tell them how, how to earn the trust of the people that are actually building this company for them. You listen to me, you listen to me and you gave me the space to, to make good choices and to make mistakes. And I remember having this conversation with my dad, when you would get a little twirly, my father is a founder of mm-hmm. his, of, of his own, his own business. And I remember being like, Ali's feeling this sort of way. I can't get across to her. Like, I'm, I don't know what to do. And he would just, he would always remind me, you are there as an expert. She hired you because you know more than she does in this area and you Mm -hmm. just need to continue to prove that. And you need to support her and you need to show her. We're very fragile. (laughs) (laughs) Well, my my father is probably the more fragile of the the founders that I know. But, you know, he he reminded me that- Your mother's really going to love this episode. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But, you know, he reminded me that like, We both needed to work at it. Mm -hmm. And I remember asking you the questions and I've learned now, okay, when you brought up demos for the fifth time in the Mm -hmm. third week and my eye twitches every single fucking time you mentioned the demo, (laughs) (laughs) I have learned to be like, hey, Al, can we chat about what expectations about demos are? Like, I have learned to just be like really upfront with you because you're like, oh, okay, yeah. And then, and then you're like, Oh, I mean, I'm just, I'm just shooting you this article because I thought it was interesting, but like, I know that. And we sat down and we talk about like, okay, what are your expectations? How are you feeling about this? This is why I I think we shouldn't do demos right now. And it has, we've had a proven track record that we can trust each other. One of the things my father also said was Ali will realize that once she lets you do your own thing and go, that is when you are going to really blossom. Mm -hmm. And I remember, I remember like us going through these tough conversations and and having these uncomfortable moments. And I remember just being like, Ali, trust me. Mm -hmm. Like, this is what the data shows. This is what the, I remember the the lamb chop image. Every time you saw it, you hated that image. And I was like, Ali, look at the numbers. And, you know, we've gotten to that point, but I would say to the founders and to their heads of departments, Mm -hmm. both put the time in because it is, it is like any relationship. It is like a friendship. It is like a marriage. It it is any long-term relationship. It requires work on both parties. And at the end of the day, you know that you hired me for a reason and you, you trust me and um, vice versa. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I was going to say, I I chose to come here because I trust you. And so, you know, we owe it to each other. Yeah. And I mean, I think, you know, what happens sometimes is, you know, the 
the scope changes almost the alignment changes, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and you and I have always been really straight with each other. You know, I'm going to give you lots of time. You're going to give me lots of time. I think at this point we're fully over that. Like we know <laughs> that we're in it for the long haul. Cause there's literally no one who could do this better than you, honestly. Oh, thank you. It's true. And, and I know a lot of founders that are tough, man. You're, you're great. Uh, thanks. <laughs> so that's the mutual admiration society. Um, the user guides are, you know, we have less than a minute left, but um, the user guides are for everyone who's wondering, basically everyone on the team has to do a little bit of soul searching, right? (laughs) Like things that I might do that might annoy you, things that you might do that might annoy me, how I prefer to communicate. It's been really interesting for us to bring in a sales team that communicates completely differently than we do. Um, That's been really interesting to process and get through. And I think we've done a really good job, you know, weed whacking that too. Um, You know, what to do when there is a problem, you know, some people get quiet, some people like to talk. Um, so DM me, um, on LinkedIn, I guess is the best place if you want a copy of my user guide, because (laughs) I am sharing it and you'll probably recognize some themes, uh, either in yourself or in the ENFJ that you happen (laughs) to work with. Um, court, Anything else you want to leave part with? I am, I am just always so grateful for your, your leadership oh, and how com- seriously and like your, yeah. com- the, the, the way that you lead, I think is very compassionate and understanding and generous, but also, you know, a little scary when you get mad, which is great. Um, <laughs> um, and you like it's it. Just, you like it when I, do, I yeah, I have do. to take pregnizone. Yeah. <laughs> on Royce is my yeah. favorite. But, but I, I also want to say that what I think I appreciate the most about you is that people like me, we put ourselves out and then we're constantly looking around for did that go over well? Does someone hate us? Does everyone love us? Who hates us? Who likes us? What's going on? Did that fall flat? Was that funny? Was that not funny? Was that too harsh? It's, it's, it's almost, it's a big weight, right? And it's something that obviously like those of us who are working on it are working on it, but it's also probably there to stay. And in all of your time with me, you will say no and you will push back and you'll say, here's why I don't think that's a good idea, but you've never ever made me feel like I'm flighty or, you know, um, silly or, you know, not connected to reality. You've never made me feel stupid. You know, you you know what I mean? You no, but you haven't, you've never made me feel like, um, foundry. You know what I mean? You've always mm-hmm. made me feel like you fundamentally respect where I'm coming from, even if you disagree with the tactic. And that I'm really grateful for. Well, that's because it's that's what it is. It's a tactic, but the strategy remains the same. And the tactics will change. Yeah. And that's okay. And we're allowed to change our minds and we're allowed to, 
you know, evolve. Um, but I also read your, you revisit your user guide um, yeah. every so often. And um, I recommend anytime someone is going to talk to you about anything and like read her user guide beforehand. Yeah. It's, really it's all helpful. right there. <laughs> it's all right there. <laughs> yeah. I was um, like, I'm nothing if, you know, not self-aware, probably <laughs> not doing enough to work on these actual things that I might do that might annoy you, but you know, eh, we're working, right. we're all working on a lot. Okay. Exactly. We can't work on everything all at the same time. Exactly. Um, but this right, was a lot Corey. of fun. Yeah. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you for coming on. You're hosting in a couple weeks. I, I am. Yeah. Um, and um, we, um, everyone who's out there listening and all of you, I think a lot of you are actually buying the sauce too, which I never really thought about, but appreciate the business and appreciate the listening and um, all the feedback. And I will be back next week with another episode of In the Sauce. In the Sauce is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.